Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And uh, this evening, my friends, I just want to jump right in because there is a lot I want to talk about. This evening is going to be about deepening our understanding of suffering, that all-important component of the Christian and Catholic life that is suffering. I don't care who you are, as St. John Paul II reminds us, and, and again, we will spend some time with him this evening, suffering is a part of our human existence. So this will be our point of reflection, and it will be our point of reflection because of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 15. So if you can pull out your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that the transcendent power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of our Lord Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our own mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith as he had who wrote, I believe and so I spoke, we too believe and so we too speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Some very rich verses, my friends. And as we begin to appreciate these verses verse by verse, we will be able to do so with what Paul means by this treasure in earthen vessels. And herein lies this need to understand that at present, our human bodies are frail and corruptible, right? Like jars made of clay. The difference between earthenware and treasure points to what? But the distinction between the perishable nature of our bodies and the imperishable riches of grace they contain. Here, Paul is also using a cultic expression from the Old Testament that refers to the sacred vessels in which sin offerings were cooked. If you were to go back into the book of Leviticus, chapter 6, verse 28, this is what you find, how sacred vessels were used for, for sin offerings. So in a similar way, Paul wants us to see that we carry the sacrificial death of Jesus in our suffering bodies. Now, in verses 8 to 11, Paul speaks to how the grace of apostleship actually safeguards Paul against despair. So although Paul is in constant distress, he is not shattered as a result of it. You see, my friends, hardships conform us to Christ when we follow his example of suffering. This is what Peter echoes in his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 21. This call we have to conform ourselves to Christ. 
and follow his example of suffering with a deeper understanding that endurance is inspired by the hope of what? Well, what does Paul talk about here? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here you have this focus on us being earthen vessels. And for Paul, and certainly we can apply this to us, the grace we receive helps us to endure our sufferings, right? I believed and so I spoke. What's going on there? Well, this is a citation from uh, Psalm chapter 116, verse 10. Psalm chapter 116, my friends, is a hymn of thanksgiving in which David recalls his faith in Yahweh during times of what? But distress. And in the light of this, he, he remembers how he was rescued. Paul and the other apostles share this faith that God would deliver them from mortal dangers, huh? And even death itself, and expect to thank him in return. What about this verse 12? This verse 12 is really the essence of these uh, eight, nine verses that I read for you today. Verse 12, so death is at work in us, but life in you. So here you have the crux of it, huh? That the sacrifices of Paul are united with the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And for this reason, unleash the blessings of God unto the world. As Christ's death brought life to the world, so the apostles' ministry of daily dying becomes a channel of life for others as well. And we could add to that. So our suffering is redemptive, which is why we are made to reflect into the wider topic of suffering this evening. And as I've already noted, we will do so with St. John Paul II because really it is St. John Paul II that delves into suffering, at least from my experience, like no other. And you find his wisdom on suffering in his beautiful apostolic letter titled The Meaning of Christian Human Suffering. Now, before we get into what St. John Paul II has to say, and the wisdom he has to share with all of us. And, and I don't care what denomination you belong to. When you're done hearing from St. John Paul II this evening, I think at the very least you'll appreciate his insights on suffering. Insights that I would suggest came from his own encounter with suffering. I mean, when you really consider what Carol Wojtyla went through, and again, his name was Carol Wojtyla before St. John Paul II, right? Um, if you knew what he went through, you'd appreciate, I think, his insights on suffering. I mean, consider, Carol Wojtyla was only in the third grade when his mother died. His only sibling and older brother died three years later, and at the age of 20, he discovered his father dead on the floor of his apartment. So by the age of 20, my friends, Carol Wojtyla was orphaned. And we should add that his experience of loss was not limited to just his, his family, right? As many of us know, the Nazis overran his country. He was from Poland. And during that time, many of his friends were killed, some in concentration camps and others shot by the Gestapo for the crime of what? <laughs> Studying for the priesthood. Later in life, of course, at the age of 60, a Turkish assassin shot him for all intents and purposes in his own front yard, <laughs> the Vatican Plaza. So once again, he has this close encounter with death where he suffers. Lastly, at the end of his life, he suffered from debilitating Parkinson's disease that rendered him immobile and left him in the end with impaired speech. So he encountered suffering at the youngest of age, 
all the way up until uh, his last breath. He experienced the mystery of suffering and the affliction endured by so many. So he, my friends, had as much reason to ask as anyone else, why pain and suffering? And so it is. In his apostolic letter, St. John Paul II puts on his snorkeling equipment, so to speak, as he dives deep into this great mystery, this mystery of suffering that makes up so much of our human existence from birth until death. This mystery, which as many of us know, my friends, we experience in such a variety of ways, physically, psychologically, socially, emotionally, spiritually, as John Paul II highlights in paragraph six of his letter, the Bible provides many examples of these varieties of suffering. I mean, consider the many dimensions of suffering that sacred scripture takes up. One's own death, the danger of death, the death of children or friends, homesickness, persecution, mockery, scorn, loneliness, abandonment, remorse, watching the wicked prosper while the just suffer. That is a kind of suffering for sure, huh? The unfaithfulness of spouse and friends. And we can even add in that the misfortune of one's homeland. So St. John Paul II in paragraph six of that letter really highlights the many modes of suffering that we all encounter thousands of years later in our own lives. He really does draw out the many forms of suffering. And as he does, he reminds us that suffering in one form or another accompanies each and every one of us wherever we go. Again, my friends, suffering is an inescapable feature of human existence. This is why St. John Paul II set out to better understand suffering. And moreover, this is why St. Paul spoke to suffering as often as he did and said what he did in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 15, especially verse 12, that the sacrificial death of Jesus, as it lives within us, has life, has life. If it's paper cuts, mosquito bites, or the worst kind of suffering in the ravages of cancer or the death of a loved one, suffering is simply, my friends, a fact of life that just not Christians, oh, by the way, but all religions try to make sense of. Suffering naturally leads to the bigger questions about life. Why do I suffer? Why do others suffer? How can suffering be overcome? Is there any meaning in suffering? And with these questions resonating in the heart of St. John Paul II, he reflects in paragraph 13. And listen to his words here. I absolutely love this. In order to perceive the true answer to the why of suffering, we must look to the revelation of divine love, the ultimate source of the meaning of everything that exists. Love is also the richest source of the meaning of suffering, which also remains a mystery. Christ causes us to enter into the mystery and to discover the why of suffering as far as we are capable of grasping the sublimity of divine love. In order to discover the profound meaning of suffering, we must above all accept the light of revelation. Love is also the fullest source of the answer to the question of the meaning of suffering. This answer has been given by God to man in the cross of Jesus Christ. Beautiful. 
So Christ causes us to enter into the mystery of suffering and discover the why. Sacred Scripture, my friends, is constantly provoking the great question, why? Does it not? Why this? Why that? Why does our Lord answer most of the questions he was asked with a question? Because he wants us to start thinking more critically about why we say what we say. So once we ask the question, why, we are then made to take the next step. If we don't ask the question, then, well, how can we take the proper step? So we look to divine revelation, we look to sacred scripture, and as we look to the mystery of the cross, we are made to ask the question, why? Ultimately, my friends, the question in of itself becomes an invitation. And by invitation, we mean come and see, right? That's the invitation from our Lord. He knocks on the door of our heart, we open, and he says, come and see. So keeping that understanding of both the importance of the question and invitation in our rearview mirror, we are made to appreciate then that for John Paul II, the story of Jesus Christ is what? But the story of humanity. Every human life is a question. And it is the Lord himself who answers that question. So we must first look to Christ to understand the meaning of suffering. If we are going to look to Christ to better understand who we are, yes, he asks, who do you say that I am? But he also asks, who do you say that you are in the light of me, right? He kind of turns the question upside down so as to turn it right side up. And in so doing, he encourages us to go deeper, looking to him to better understand the meaning of suffering. Could we not say our own understanding of God is still yet fragile and incomplete? Because we are not capable of comprehending pure love and pure goodness? How then can we understand suffering? Well, we know that it will never be definitive, but that's part of the vocation. It's the constant encounter. It's the constant question. It's the constancy of continually going to our Lord. Words fall short, my friends, when we are undergoing suffering. And reasoning can never remedy the profound sense of the offensiveness of suffering. So in looking for an answer to the problem of pain and suffering, as we might think about it, the Pope avoids reducing all suffering to a single justification, but looked at various aspects and meaning of suffering within his letter. What's important for us to understand here, my friends, is that reducing suffering to a single solution does not do justice to its complexities. So, what are some of those complexities? Well, first, sometimes suffering makes an important good possible, does it not? If God eliminated all suffering, the corresponding good also would be what? Eliminated. In paragraph 29, St. John Paul II reflects, we could say that suffering is present in order to unleash love in the human person. That unselfish gift of one's eye on behalf of other people, especially those who suffer. The world of human suffering unseasonally calls for, so to speak, another world. The world of human love, John Paul II says. And in a certain sense, man owes to suffering that unselfish love that stirs in his heart and actions. So, 
in concrete terms. When someone close to you has lost loved one, you know that they are going to suffer. So out from that fact that you know they are suffering, you are called to what? Unleash love. So suffering has this way of bringing out the best version of who God is calling us to be. Again, in the words of JP2, and I love this phrase, unleashing love in the human person. Unleashing upon the world, we could say, the best of Christianity. I mean, there are so many examples to draw from, and I'm just thinking about off the top of my head, 911. In the apex of all of those who were mourning the death of so many loved ones, did so many people reach out? We saw the best version of who we can become in the light of 911. You know, yesterday I had briefly touched upon abortion, and I always find it fascinating that for a very short window of about 24 to 36 hours after 911, not a single abortion was recorded in the greater New York City area. Now, why? <laughs> Well, because everyone was looking outside of themselves. They weren't so concerned about all of their problems, but the problems of other people. If love is defined as willing the good of the other, love was present. People were willing the good of the other. People were unleashing the best of who they were, or God living within them, maybe better said, upon the world. That is what JP2 is talking about there. What's more, pain and suffering can prompt rehabilitation and a turning from evil to embrace stronger relationships with, with others and above all else with God. I suppose here we can ask the question, has this happened in our own lives? When suffering is imbued with grace, brothers and sisters, it brings about a power that transcends the normal experience of things, which in turn heals relationships, which in turn overcomes divisions. This is what Paul again is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12. We are earthen vessels, and if we are going to bring about a reconciliation, we must look upon the model of suffering, the model of the ultimate icon of reconciliation, the cross, and see that the means to the great reconciliation between man and God was, in fact, suffering. Also, we should add, as JP2 does, suffering breaks down that most fundamental of human tendencies, our desire to be God, right? As St. John Paul II highlights, the original sin of Adam and Eve was an attempt to reorder the universe so that they, that is Adam and Eve, could determine what is good and what is evil. Is this not what is replicated in every human sin? The sinner orders the universe according to his own will and sets aside the will of God. We have put this in the context of the ego drama and the theodrama. The ego drama is the drama that I write, the drama that I produce, the drama that, that I direct, and above all else, the drama that I star in. What about the theodrama, the drama of God, the drama of God's will be done? Well, that is the drama that God writes, God produces, God directs, and God stars in. So we have to open ourselves up to God, that the theodrama within our own life might be revealed and lived. So suffering is redemptive in part because it reveals to man that first and foremost, he is not God. 
suffering brothers and sisters reveals to you and me that we are not God. And ultimately, it renders us more receptive to what but His divine love. So suffering has a way of opening us up to God's deeper mystery. And isn't that beautiful? Only when we are weak do many of us rely on God and explicitly repudiate our divine ambitions. We are reminded that history itself is not a series of chronological events, but again, an event of freedom, an event of choosing for God or against God. And when we choose for God, especially in our times of suffering, we share in the redemptive love of God. This is what Paul is talking about in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 when you have time. Meditate with that verse. Certainly, God will have a jewel for you. So, history provides for us many examples of sinners who have been transformed into saints through suffering. JP2 highlights such saints for us to ponder the the before Christ version of the saint and the post Christ version of the saint. The version which speaks to the opening up of the heart, the heart opening up to a new dimension of love. St. John Paul II reminds us that every sinner has a future and every saint has a past, and consequently how every person must cross that threshold of answering the question of suffering in their own life. In paragraph 26 of his letter, he says this, Down through the centuries and generations, it has been seen that in suffering, there is concealed a particular power that draws a person interiorly close to Christ, a special grace, John Paul II calls it. To this grace, many men and women, such as St. Francis of Assisi, St. Ignatius of Loyola, and others, owe their profound conversion. A result of such a conversion is not only that the individual discovers the salvific meaning of suffering, but above all, that he becomes a completely new person. He discovers a new dimension, as it were, of his entire life and vocation. The potential that was inside of those saints I mentioned were realized, and it is the same potential that is inside of us when we allow Christ to bring about deeper meaning to our suffering. Incidentally, what does the word potential mean in Latin? Potentia? Potentia, it literally translates as power, might, force. So if we are going to fulfill the potential that is within us, what must we do? Well, think about those words I just mentioned. Power, might, force. Who is this power? Who is this might? Who is this force? Well, what does sacred scripture say? The Holy Spirit, right? Does not Jesus say, I will give you the power of the Holy Spirit in the Greek, the might of the Holy Spirit, the force of the Holy Spirit? So we can only realize our potential and who we are as sons and daughters of God if we allow the Holy Spirit to invade our souls through and through. And once we do that, we unleash love upon the world. We unleash, first and foremost, our own conversion. And this is the point JP2 is making here. And again, to talk about what is redemptive is to talk about what Christ accomplishes within us, right? Christ strikes at the root of our sin and our suffering by what overcoming evil with good. 
Indeed, the suffering of Christ overcomes the worst possible suffering of the human person, which is what? But permanent alienation from God. All suffering in this life, like all happiness, my friends, is imperfect, partial, and finite. Even the worst possible human life spread over the longest span comes to an end. Hell does not. It lasts forever. In comparison to the pains of hell, the worst human suffering on earth pales in comparison. Jesus saves his people from hell. And so with that, we take a step back and realize that Jesus saves us from suffering by entering into it, right? The physical pain endured by Christ is well beyond what man has ever experienced. And we really do need to appreciate this. Beaten by soldiers, imprisoned, scourged at the pillar, crowned with thorns, forced to carry the cross, and finally dying by crucifixion. But here's the thing. That is not it. What makes our Lord's pain and suffering entirely unique is that it is God who is suffering. JP2 says in paragraph 17, his suffering, a depth and intensity that while being human, can also be an incomparable death and intensity of suffering, insofar as the man who suffers is in person the only begotten Son himself, God from God. Therefore, only he, the only begotten Son, is capable of embracing the measure of evil contained in the sin of man in every sin and in total sin. Wow, how powerful is that? And in this way, Christ has, in a sense, opened up redemptive suffering to all human suffering. And this is why we are called to share in this suffering. Brothers and sisters, Christ did not suffer on the cross as an antidote to human pain and agony, but ultimately, in the end, to give us, to give us an example of how to suffer with God the Father, whereby we unite all of our sufferings, all the sufferings that we have already talked about with the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.